spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. You opened it. We came. It's just a puzzle book! Oh no. It is a means to summon us. Explorers in the further regions of experience. Demons to some, angels to others. Welcome back to 31 for 31, a podcast movie playlist keeping you in the Halloween spirit all month long. I am one of your hosts, Chris Boniello, along with Cody Mason and Jamie Lansdowne. And we have no guests today, so sorry, you're stuck with the three of us. <laughs> just us. Just us. What a, what a surprise we had for a few episodes, in. but it's just us. And we are on episode 20, day 20 of October, and we have watched the original Hellraiser, the 1987 supernatural, super sexy horror film super written and directed by Clive Barker. Yes, that that's what I probably should have said. Super sexual. That's even better. And it was based on Barker's novella, The Hellbound Heart. It revolves around a puzzle box that can allow interdimensional sex crave pain pleasure demon monsters to somehow enter through walls or in spaces or, you know, interdimensional ways that can open up hallways. And Come combine your life with pleasure and pain. And if you're a douchebag named Frank, you have to really deal with that. We're really going to talk about Frank a lot this episode. I, think, I can't wait to I think talk about Frank. I think Frank is like, you know, Pinhead is the is the standout. He didn't even get named in this movie. And I think for too much of this, we're not talking about Frank, who is the heart. Well, you know, pun intended. Hellbound heart. The yeah. hellbound heart at the core of this movie. And no one else matters to me at all. The Cenobites are just like, absolutely table dressing for frank to do stuff yeah and i will say coming back to this movie i hadn't seen it in a while it was one that i remember watching i don't know in middle school or high school and then a few more times and it's it's kind of randomly on tv i remember growing up it just be on cable and stuff and it falls in line with what i had coined over i think our recent text group as the Voorhees effect where <laughs> people remember one character being the main villain or monster throughout the entire movie and in this first film they are barely in it at all yeah the the cenobites have like a little like music video at the beginning of the movie and then they don't really (laughs) talk or do anything until like 61 62 minutes in so it's really frank's show and i i i will spend most of this episode just comparing frank's journey to that of Imhotep from the from the mummy <laughs> yeah, with Brendan mummy, Fraser, exactly. which I think is a very fun trope. Uh, but you know, a little done a little differently here. But to go off the the Voorhees effect, and also even the people that haven't seen the movie, I think you know Pinhead is prominently displayed on every Hellraiser poster, the original, and obviously the sequels where they yeah. just went. It seemingly just went, we, everyone loves Pinhead, so we're just going to make him a character. I would also assume people just think that Hellraiser is Pinhead at this point. If you just say the name Hellraiser, they're like, oh yeah, that's that guy with the nails in his head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's not even Pinhead. Like, even in the movies, is it even called Pinhead? He's just like the priest, like even in sequels. Yeah, yeah I mean, hey, not really if made. you're going to think of every title of every single movie in the Hellraiser series, it's pretty much all about Frank. Hellraiser, who raises hell? Frank. 
<laughs> yeah. Hellbound. Who's bound to hell? Frank. I yeah. do like I do like stretch mouth and and licky lips as well. As <laughs> You know, they have great real names. There's Chattering. Chatterbox. Chatterbox. Yeah. Yeah. Chatter- Butterball <laughs> and Female. I think it's just then, you know, the one with the like larynx. Vagina open, neck just like or something. You know. Female centipede. Didn't really get a good one. Yeah. The sadomasochists aren't the best with naming. Yeah. They, they gave up. They, they, after Butterball, they were like, we're fresh out of that. <laughs> Butterball just sounds ridiculous. And I want to emphasize, too, and this kind of relates us back to the crazy monster in in the ritual but like i think the part that r- stood out most to me when this was on amc growing up because you spend so much time just waiting for something to happen that s- screams hellraiser to you like you know something outside of just the little contained attic plot is the i think it's called like the engineer oh the that, scorpion the, thing well yeah the thing that like hangs down and has the floppies yeah and like that's the thing that creeped me out the most as a kid in the and hospital now, yeah, I think probably is kind of silly, and you know the the effect. You can see the you can see the dolly behind. Right, you. <laughs> yeah, but it's still just like such a cool scene of tension. It is a great. The rest scene. of this, yeah. the rest of this movie is really just like dialogue with creepy things. That that's like the one time it's like, oh my god, I don't know what that is. Like, no one <laughs> talked about this before. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a constant battle of uh, do you stick with your boring life with your husband who is afraid of blood, or do you go live with? you know, sexual deviant Frank and keep that <laughs> we all keep that answer. flame alive. I as much as I want to talk about Frank, I do want to talk about Larry because I, I remembered Larry as being kind of a scumbag. Maybe it's more from like the novella. He wasn't great. I, maybe he was. I think he's actually very nice in the novella too. He seems like a really nice guy. <laughs> I think in the novella Christy is just also a random person. I think she's, she's like, like a a will they won't they with uh, Larry. Yeah, and, they they make it a lot nicer having her be the daughter. Yeah, and creepy in other ways. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of come to daddy weird stuff. Yeah, there is a lot of that. I haven't read the novella, so I'm yeah, I don't know sure. what hits harder, come to daddy or Martha. Yeah, Martha. <laughs> well, I I do think that I was surprised just because I remembered everyone in this movie being just kind of a creep or Christy or her boyfriend or uh, eating bugs and i was very happy this is probably the fourth or fifth time i've watched this movie all the way through in my life and i was like hey man larry seems like a pretty cool guy (laughs) he just seems like he's nice he's got a lot of friends and yeah he's a little afraid of blood yeah oh sorry it's like the worst thing he he gouged his hand wide open on a nail yes like ah we should fucking which that's happened near me in a moving to my wife and it was kind of my fault so R.I.P. You know, didn't uh, that probably gave <laughs> yeah. centibytes on the floor below us? You know, the uh, <laughs> the uh, excuse to lose one of well, the people. Well, un- unbound hearts to re to regrow. Yeah, I love that. Tra- just skipping ahead, that transformation of the legs sticking out of the woods. Wood so panels good. is very good. Yeah, because I mean, hey, that's when you know Frank's back. So you know, <laughs> yeah, we should spe- probably start. Special it. effects are by Bob Keen. Amazing practical effects. We should probably talk about the plot of this movie just strictly through the restricted narrative of what Frank goes through. <laughs> well, I was going to say right up front with Frank, you know, you got this deal to get the puzzle box that is going to be one of the central, you know, MacGuffins, MacGuffins throughout yeah. the whole film and. You really get hit with the gore right up front. As as someone who likes to have like a snack right at the beginning of a movie, I I forgot how like right away it's like, oh okay, there's I, th- I, this this is pretty fake gore, but it's still you know not the best to eat hummus during. Yeah, the the close-ups of the hooks going through the skin, which 
the skin looks very fake, but it's very unpleasant. Yeah, it still has like same thing with the nail. It's the same effect yeah. on very leathery like plastic, but it still <laughs> is just like, oh, that's a thing that I don't want to think about. So mm-hmm. it yeah, it reminds better. me a lot of the original like Evil Dead. It's it's effects that don't look that great, but still look but are still practical. So if you if you play it off funny, I'm going to laugh. But if you put some serious music and the actor looks like they're in pain, I'm going to be sitting there like, oh, my skin. I don't want to think about that. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a fun, as explained later, way of just being like, does Frank kind of get what he wants in this movie? Because yeah, he is like he he's like. He should have a monologue being like, I fucked the entire world and I also beat them up at during it. And I'm bored. And then I always I was curious your thoughts like he escapes the Cenobites who trap him in hell, I guess, with or a version of hell where the line between pleasure and pain is blurred so much that it's just like raw experience and maximalism. And I'm like. Is he having like a good time? Because <laughs> I mean, he turns into bits. Like they cut him into yeah. like pieces of spongy flesh. But I'm always like, well, did it get blurred? I mean, I know the Cenobites <laughs> in the other movies like are past people who unlock the puzzle box and they're just kind of like chilling now. And maybe that will happen to Frank. Yeah. But is he, you know, he escapes that. But I'm like, isn't that what you wanted? You know, like I, I don't understand it, I guess. <laughs> I think it's like a it's what's like almost like a monkey's paw situation where he obviously he seeks out this puzzle box after presumably experiencing everything life had to offer in terms of weird or I shouldn't say weird but sadomasochistic. I think some of it's kink. weird and like yeah violent. I think weird I think a I lot think of weird it is, is totally fine. I think it's implied that he's like hurting people that don't want to be yeah. hurt. Yeah. So I think a lot of it is. Yeah. I mean he's a crazy crazy bastard and he he wants another fix you know he's looking for that next great fix he's already done all this stuff so he looks for this puzzle box which will unveil in his mind he's looking for that next level of uh pleasure in his sense and just a freudian analysis a little bit i think it's like all the stuff we see of him doing stuff it's he's kind of a sadist like he's like beating people up so i think it's maybe that's the angle i'm looking for is like he isn't in the driver's seat he's like the one who would have to go dive into masochism and that's not his bag or something. But Mm -hmm. But that's his whole thing, even with the wife, Julie. Julia. Julia, yeah. Where he's like before her wedding is, you know, taking out the knife and cutting his hand. And it's like, it's it's clearly an addiction that he is not fully in control of. And Julia is somehow attracted to just the, you know, driving off a cliff spirit of like, should I ride this? Takes a solid three minutes for her to just be him to be like, I'm free. Well, I love that it, that sort of flashback is introduced. Like it's almost like a romantic comedy. Like she opens the door and it's raining and he's like, yeah, come in. And it's like, or I guess maybe like a bad porno or something. Well, yeah, because she's also like, who are you? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm Frank. And immediately she's like, all right, let's go. Pretty hot. Yeah. I, I, I like their relationship. And one thing I will say about Frank is like, He's played by an actor who, by all accounts and other photos I've seen, like, isn't that attractive of a guy? But they play him up in this where he's just like raw sex. <laughs> and I don't know yeah. how they got that to be so, so successful. And then once he turns into 
like the flesh demon that's collecting new flesh to become whole again, like in the mummy. He's played by a completely different person. Yeah, that always was weird that they did. They just did a totally different. He's just thing. played by like an elderly English man, and it's like, yeah. I, first of all, this movie is like one of the most transatlantic movies ever, where it's like they talk about Brooklyn once, but then it's never clear having nope. it be shot in London. How many people are English? Apparently, they had to overdub people's lines because it was a yeah, they was set in London, and then they were like, actually, we need to like change. I, I guess it was like a budget or a box office thing. It's like we might get more money if we set it in America. So we're just going to go through all this effort of changing it to America. Yeah, because they yeah. did a lot to really set dress where they were. You know, it's like a house and a pet store and one wall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I d- I did keep trying to look it up to be like, wait, where are they? They keep saying like they left Brooklyn, but like I've never spent much time in ohio but i don't know where they've ended up yeah hey yeah no. for some reason i got like san francisco <laughs> vibes it oh, they're, in like a, they're in like an yeah. old victorian too that's yeah. like the house the house is definitely a major character in this movie and you're kind of like okay if this house is so important to this if it can somehow grow back this heart it has all these weird features this beautiful wood staircase like where am i <laughs> Don't worry about the it. pet store. You can buy a monkey out and like an anaconda from like, you know, yeah, with somebody. Completely and they just and they just have the crickets. Yeah, out. Anyone can eat the crickets. Hey, you know, the what? vagrant take them who, by the handful. We'll get back to the vagrant later. Yeah. I guess who's he's the, the puzzle guardian and he's also a David Lynch <laughs> demon. Yeah, he's basically they're, the, they're the connected man oh, outside okay. of Winkies, but yeah. eating, you know, also also, also in Twin Peaks, dragon. which you need to watch, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> got a light guy uh but yeah i feel like the the best character work in this movie is like early on between julia and between frank and like them moving into that and i'm always kind of confused because it it would make i think it makes more sense as a novella to have that be the focus for so much and then have this big clashing conclusion with all these set pieces and like monsters and stuff but i do love how jarring it is that the last act of this movie is almost completely unrelated to the previous two acts. And once Kirstie goes to the hospital and the Cenobites are unleashed, it goes from being like this very psychosexual, renewed body horror kind of decision between two mates into just like, all right, it's uh, are you going to give up your uncle to go to hell or, or not talking to literal demons in front of you and, you know, experiencing the full vision of hell is a big, yeah. pretty big escalation that I don't know what people would have been was, expecting. Was that, a, was that in the original story or is, do you think that was almost like a Hollywood convention? I think there's of- more sprinkle throughout of like, because I mean, mm-hmm. you don't have to spend all your budget on text, you know, so there's more of like a little bit of explanation about what the Cenobites are doing and like how Frank connects to them and how he's bound to them early and then like when they come back it's like oh yeah yeah okay sure yeah gotcha but with this you know you just get those he's like full he's basically been put through a blend tech at the beginning of the movie (laughs) and you see the centibites being like all right yeah pieces of this guy and then later they come back I like how the Cenobites are not actually really characters. They're more of just like a plot device. Yeah, they're like watchers. Yeah, this is definitely the Julia and Frank show. And I, I enjoy the like the, the tension that Julia has where she's definitely enjoying parts of this and then other parts of it just kind of dealing with it until she can get Frank back. Yeah, it's it's 
it's a fun little I guess I wouldn't say it's inexpensive or anything because I mean the transformation stuff with Frank is awesome. really well done. Um, <laughs> like, they, but, they put that right up front and you're like, cool, I'm in the rest yeah, of the movie. That's yeah, that's really end, you're good. Like, well, what happened to that? certain <laughs> that shots that are like budget? incredibly like full stop, good practical effects. And then when it's bad, it's it's bad in a fun way. And I love how he's always wearing white shirts. I'm <laughs> just getting drenched in blood. I always have loved that because it's so goopy. But yeah, at the end, it does. The only reason I'm disappointed in the last third of this is because in a vacuum, it would be so fun to just be like, yeah. And then these crazy characters showed up. They have a canon that's kind of outside of our comprehension and the engineer will show up and all these things will come back. And we just know the thing that control the, controls them is this box. And we can send them back to hell and we can live our lives. And this puzzle box thing will turn into a dragon. And you will all be like, <laughs> Kirstie, and be like, wow, what the fuck was all of that? And like <laughs> yeah. that, that's why if there are no sequels to this series, that would be beautiful. Because it's just like, and then the most confusing 30 minutes of everything ever happened. And then if you've seen Hellbound, if you've seen Hell on Earth, if you've seen it's like, all of it is just being like, well, where did Pinhead come from? And it's like, no, you know, no backstory, please. Like, I don't yeah. need to know that he was like a, a World British War soldier. Gen- is it, yeah, like, or no. Yeah. And then it just you're, you're closing. You're narrowing the world too much for the imagination for me. So it's hard for me to like watch the last act of this in a vacuum now, which is sad. But the first two acts, I think, work really well. Now we're going to get a new movie and an HBO show. Which again, like, what what can you add to this? Like the 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 core parts of this being a group of demons that want to collect people in a monkey's paw situation to experience pain is not actually that interesting <laughs> because it's always going to be the same type of person doing it, and then you, the same kind of conflict or situation, you know, and like the fact that somebody escapes is so rare that it's like okay, yeah. So I, I really it, don't it is just crazy what that the story could be nine sequels to this and now another one coming into tv show <laughs> well the the speaking of connective t- tissue the remake is going to be directed by david bruckner who directed the ritual so which yeah we're gonna give him credit because we and it's know, also we'll make some pretty looking but the tv show is going to be done by david gorda green <laughs> oh boy God damn it. he's got i love i love him and i love the new halloween but he's just sticking his hands in like all these franchises like give some you know spread the love man you don't own yeah fandom horror <laughs> yeah yeah i do like that this one jj abrams of horror female led then they end up becoming once they get back into the story of how all this has happened i forgot that so much of this is is julia dealing with this relationship and it's not you know it's it's very on the surface it's not very deep but if if you were to go back into this kind of story i think it'd be interesting to look at trauma and addiction and and sexual desires in that way with mixed with this body horror and have characters that aren't just, you know, wet Frank and, <laughs> and upset Julie. Be- best wetter, yeah. better wetter. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it works well because it is like an insular story. Like it's very con- self-contained and it's literally taking place in an attic. But like that's basically where most of the story takes place. Yeah. And I like how much, how focused it is on these characters and how they're living out. And I think some of the, the shortcomings also come from Clive Barker. This was, I believe, his first film. And he freely admits, like, I'm not a filmmaker. Like, I was kind of learning as I went along. And I think he did a pretty good job. But there's certainly yeah. some, some there's rough some, edges. You know, like the scene where Frank shows up at the door, plays out 
like a soap opera <laughs> because it's someone kind of doing basic coverage of a romance scene when they're trying to get to the part where they can cut somebody to pieces, you know, but mm-hmm. I do like that Frank's characterized pretty well in this one as like a male predator. And I think that there's a lot more human focus on like the impact he has on women who he's manipulating or gaslighting or, or trying to literally be like an incest predator too. is it's kind of, you know, it has a little bit more subtext than the rest of the series again, where it just becomes so cosmic in scale that it's like, yeah, it is nice that this is contained to like a horrible thing that's happening in these people's attic. And then there's this explosion of chaos at the end, but you're left with a situation where like for Kirstie, it was still just about her family rather than like, yeah. you know, the tides of the universe or hell. <laughs> you know. it, yeah. It reminds me of the type of thing that Stephen King stuff can fall into where, you know, it starts to tie up a bit and you're, you're with the characters and the family, and then all of a sudden there's this extra 15 minutes or 40 pages where you're like, wait, what? And then what happened? <laughs> and then but right at the end, once that thing's vanquished or once certain people die, it always goes back to like, and that's how Johnny learned to be a brother again. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so that's how Kirstie earned her independence from I mean, of, Yeah. <laughs> Does that especially watching this again, I was very um and not to criticize the movie too much, but the third act where Christy sees her dad and does not question why there's blood, like his scalp is like slipping off or his eye color has changed at all. is like also kind of throws me for a loop. Well, I mean, honestly, you know, at this point you have to be like, well, you would question everything, but the dude's wearing the dude's skin. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's not a common, yeah. you know, she's a little suspect. I mean, she, I she's probably in pretty hard trauma after being chased by the engineer and seeing like most of the pieces of hell yeah maybe maybe she she's just you know happy to see his mouth and chin and not really paying attention yeah. he should have been wearing sunglasses yeah uh, i mean she watched yeah talk, watched to, a, talk to david gordon green about some creative decisions watch a vagrant eat some crickets and christy i like her as a as a teen character in this she's not you know, generally as dumb as a lot of other films of this same time frame and, you know, the the eighties teen in a in a horror movie, she's at least a lot smarter. She knows when to get out of places, knows when to like throw stuff and and, and quickly figures out that it's the puzzle box that's the thing causing some stuff. She's not, you know, just walking in and getting killed. She does I think run up into the attic one time where I was like, nah, that's the one room you weren't supposed to go to. But uh <laughs> no, she is because there's no contrivance needed because like what it, you know if you're running away from michael myers you can run away from michael myers for this it's like the demons of hell can go anywhere all the time so yeah. <laughs> you know you could be as smart as you want and you will just get fucked over yeah. unless you have she, a box she should have been a little more protective of the box she is pretty loose with putting it down places and when it's it's clearly the thing causing this but she does figure it out in the end you know what and again i think this is the most important note is we'll go back and i think it's kirsty <laughs> we'll dub over ourselves because in the most <laughs> 80s version of the name it's kirstie and not christy it, it, it so, is kirstie good I think. okay good well now we are something along the way yes i again like i remember so little about the sequels but again it's like i do like that idea of treating movies like this as a novella where it's a story that isn't novel-esque it kind of accomplishes what you need in the beats of what would be 180 pages and you know like a good short story or novella or something it ends with like a pretty pronounced sense of like finality and maybe just leaving it as like 
isn't that wild or a fun open ending or something like that that does not ask for repeat views back into that world or something like that. I'm I'm a little annoyed that the movie I would like least to see more of is the movie that's not only getting remade twice this year, but also has nine sequels already because <laughs> it's yeah. like none of that stuff is what interests me at all about this series. Or about yeah. This and movie. it's, yeah, it, it deals with, you know, the problem of a lot of these types of franchises and, and IPs is that you have a few very interesting characters because of their design and they're well-designed and it's exciting. And your imagination starts to run wild when you see them with different ideas of what they might be or where they came from. But your imagination and all those types of things is always more exciting and intense than once you get five more hours of background and you're like, wait. So, yeah, what? the world just got that much smaller and that's not fun. I think the one yeah. thing that I read that was interesting to me about Clive Barker having control of this and, you know, Clive. Who also, you know, Candyman earlier on. Right. In our know, playlist. The forbidden. He's, he's all around here. He was a. He was a male gigolo himself. He's very sexually open in a lot of stuff that he does. He made a he made a short story called Rawhide Rex that, you know, sounds like a porno, but isn't. And it's the reason he directed this movie, because the adaptation is so bad. But all to say, I think that there was a lot in this movie that would have been a full porno if he had had the chance. I think there was a lot where he was like, uh, I'll give up the sodomy scene, but I'll trade that off to cut somebody's throat open or something like that. So. I think the MPAA battle of this could have had it be even more fun, I think. Yeah. I feel like the HBO series will probably go there. We'll probably it'll it'll probably be an HBO full on, you know, some some more graphic violence and Yeah, Because I think some of the stuff I am like, uh, about in the attic or like there aren't good close up insert shots. And then I looked online at the list of shots the MPAA took out and it's like Close-up shot of Hammer. Close-up shot of Kirsty sticking her hand into yeah. Frank's stomach. Longer scene with the Cenobites hooks going. and It's like, I want to see those deleted scenes because those would be wild, I'm sure. But yeah, I, I, it still works. It still has enough yeah. oops and goops for me, I guess. For me, like I feel like this is a fun one to go back and revisit if they did some sort of theater experience with it. It'd be a fun alamo type thing with it's got some wild quotes and some wild scenes and, and do some sort of interactive exciting thing with the audience to this so that you get a bunch of people coming in thinking oh yeah this is you know the pinhead movie and then it's there's just way more going yeah. on and i feel like tear your soul apart is like the only like throw your popcorn moment but then the rest yeah. of it is going to be people like falling in love with frank and, and how bizarre yeah, his character theater is. screaming come to dad yeah like that that's the kind of stuff that i think makes a better midnight movie than just like recognizable scenery it's like yeah weird weird characterizations that you have to follow like i almost at a certain point was like is kirstie necessary in this and i guess she's just kind of like the survivor to watch the dragon fly away at the end but so much of what I love about this is like the purposely stilted acting of the of the main love triangle for the first two first two acts. I would I would love to be standing outside the theater after one of the first screenings and just have people come out and be like, what the fuck was that dragon? Yeah, I, <laughs> like I, I really want no explanation. And I'm sure I remember the explanation because that guy comes back all the time in the sequels, but mainly as like the the vagrant. Um for, for budget constraints but uh 
yeah, I think we we need to do some Wikipedia research on that just to go to bed tonight and be able to sleep knowing what that yeah, guy but is. Bob Bob Keen with those amazing practical effects. Sorry, listeners, uh, if you hadn't heard Jamie's voice in a while, it's because he's been playing with the puzzle box that is his audio input. <laughs> yeah, I am back. And now he's unlocked all the pleasures and pain of using his AirPods for the rest of the episode. So yeah, it looks like you got hooks in your ears, dude. Yeah, whoa, look out, yeah, well, buddy. Inspired. Well, yeah, I feel like this movie, you know, probably has a great steel book and all this kind of stuff where it's... They, put out, they put out this huge box set. I'm sure, but it's not that kind of movie to me. Like, it's so domestic. It's so small. And then at the end, you know, you get these glimpses of this giant, you know, cosmic horror movie. But for me, I, I don't know. I'm like so Team Frank. I love a good body rejuvenation thing. I'm a big apologist for the Brendan Fraser mummy, especially because of those scenes. You know, I think it's so good. And I don't know, like Pinhead and his cronies just kind of are there with, with veiled threats and cool looks. And they're great for box art. But like as characters, they don't have a cool horror premise set of motivations for me. So, you know, I'm going to I'm going to Hellraiser is Frank. Full stop, period. Put a pin in it. That's my take. <laughs> I I would say I would like to also see, I mean, now that they're doing all these remakes and redone whatever i'm i'm kind of tired of david gordon green to be honest but uh i this would be something where if you give me like a, some sort of produced by guillermo del toro directed by brandon cronenberg type thing where it's like yeah let's lean into like the real body horror here and less so explaining anything of why anything's happening yeah like cast, give me yeah cast some good like Andrea Rosenberg, give me the, you know, yeah, the lean, the lean version of this where you're just like, oh, shit. Yeah, let's recast. Let's do a recast. I think I would recast Julia as Andrea Riseborough, who is just in our our friend Brandon's Possessor movie. Um, so give good. me give me Oscar Isaac as Frank. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a great. good call. I could Give see him that. knocking on a door and then, <laughs> yeah. oh man, who's derpy? But Imagine lovable. him coming in from the rain. Yeah. You know, we need like a, an older hmm. Paul Rudd charm to be Larry because we're mm. going to try to make him even more likable. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Paul. Yeah. yeah. And then we'll just throw somebody in from, from euphoria. to be <laughs> Jason Siegel. Yeah. He could pull that off. Honestly. Why not? You know what? No. Uh, Seth Rogen. Danny Brent, McBride. Yeah. Nope. I'm going with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> He's back, baby. Uh, give me, uh, give me like a messed up Ron Perlman as the vagrant. All right, pitch the protector. Oh, he should be the protector. Yeah. Duh. Okay, we've we've and and his transformation. And I think he has played the like protector. Practical. He does play the protector, like in like the direct-to-video stuff. So we're doing a great job. We we <laughs> wait. Does Ron Perlman does? No, no. The Doug's. Oh. Doug, uh, yeah, Ron Perlman's probably in there somewhere. Yeah. Can, all right. What? Before we get into the Halloween of it all, I'm putting you two on the spot, and okay. I have not pre-thought about this. I promise. Create a Cenobite look. Go. What's it? What's your new Cenobite? Hmm. 
<clears throat> I think my new Cenobite, I'm, I'm picturing a whole bunch of arms with skin pulled down between them. It's got three arms on each side, but the skin is coming down stretched between all of them with chains on it. <laughs> like attached <laughs> to weights, like they're getting dragged down. Yeah, behind it, like a like a wedding dress of, of okay. dragged skin. Yeah. And then what's the name Yikes. in the credits? It has to be really bad. <laughs> and and I think it's only it's only like from the nose down of a head and it's all it looks like the head of the ghost in Crimson Peak without the top part. Got of it. it. So we'll call it the bride centibite. Ooh, I like that. Wow, yeah. we're good. Mm, we're good. That's good. Jamie, what's good. yours? Um Mine's great. I got it now. Go for it. Go, go. I'll go first then. I'll give Jamie some time. I think I want a guy with a waffle iron. <laughs> I want waffles. But like on a spikes? Bike. It's like, ooh, I like no, the metal look. Just but like Because they, they do have a lot of metal. And it's always on really hot. So he's just burning. He's a ooh. waffle. And it drips out his, every once in a while. I think his body is just oozing syrup. And then he's just <laughs> squished. And, and it's really hot. And his face is burning. And he's the, he's the waffle. Or the Belgian. Mm. Ooh, yeah, the, the Belgian. I like that. We're so good at this. All right, Jamie, you better bring it home because our two are David. David Gordon Green's on the phone talking <laughs> no. to us about the <laughs> oh, Belgian geez. bribe. Okay, okay. My Cenobite is okay. The the thing I could not help but think about while watching this movie is their leather suits just being so uncomfortable. <laughs> So I'm just doubling, tripling down on that and just saying that they are just wrapped in the leather, like shrink wrapped in the re- the leather and just sweating profusely. Maybe some heaters attached to them. The sweaty centibite. Okay. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah, the, the, the sweat bite. The, the perspirer. Okay. One is one is dragging its skin. One is having its face melt, and the other one's just really hot. <laughs> and one is like, <laughs> this is a this is a discomfort. I, yeah. Like, I'm. I mean, yeah, he's, I'm no. Is it because we're all sitting okay. recording this with no AC? Yeah, that's right exactly now. my feeling right now. That's why I'm wearing athletic clothes. Okay, right, cool. Well, I, I feel like we uh, we nailed it. And then, what does our vagrant turn into? Hmm. Does he have to turn into something? I mean, the dragon works for me. I think my vagrant would turn. Into like a Honda Civic, <laughs> and just drive away, but made out of bones. It, this becomes part of the Fast franchise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Get get a. Uh, I think this would be a David fun one to uh, to if people haven't seen it to do almost like a dinner party watching where like you do that Ooh. that dinner scene and you're in an old house and then there is something creepy up in the attic and people keep getting murdered up there and you're trying to figure out who's the one trying to hook up with or rebuild frank basically like oh okay who who frank it yeah one like i mean to me that's it's a very halloween in that way that i really didn't remember from all the random times i've watched it and half watched it i was like this is a this is a haunted house movie with a love story and mr hellraiser himself is frank john j hellraiser yeah my take on it being a Halloween movie is just... Let's hear it. First of all, David Gordon Green is attached, and he's the Prince of Halloween apparently now, so we got that <laughs> going on. But I think for this movie, it's just having that specific Victorian home, same way that Crimson Peak just immediately evokes that kind of specific autumnal creepiness is check, check, check. And then, yeah, I think just like involving a young girl into this situation that is beyond her comprehension and there's a slipping veil between 
the paranormal and the normal in regular life with regular situations is, you know, all about that slip veil of, you know, Halloween night, how the, 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 the darkness crosses over all that hits the same marks for me. You know, Halloween, it's a sexy holiday, you know, so I, I think I mean, you should it go is a mix of of pleasure and pain. Sometimes like you I've eat got that candy, but it's do, got a razor blade inside. Well, that too. I mean, I've got friends that do crazy, crazy costumes by the they love it and work on them. By the end of the night, they're drenched in sweat. Well, here's my pitch. Just like Jamie's set up. Here's my pitch. They should do three hour party. Start off skeletal. Forty five minutes in a little bit of flesh. And some once somebody leaves and be like, yeah, I ate I ate James, you know, and that, and every 45 minutes they put on more layers of goop to become a normal human being again. But I love the nose cartilage. That's probably my favorite bit because it's so oozy. But Jamie, what were you saying? <laughs> I was just saying how I, I love how Frank, despite really his whole thing, really relying on him remaining hidden, even in his. Even in his his horrible state, he's still nailing rats to a wall. He's that desperate and he's still having fun with it. <laughs> he's still he, he has a weird thing with the rat because then later in that scene where Julia and Larry are like kind of about to get it on, he creeps creeps out of the, the the closet holding a rat and then cuts it in half with a knife for seemingly no reason other than to just fuck with Julia who is helping him and this would obviously like give up the ghost if Larry turns around so it's a very strange choice by Frank <laughs> yeah like yeah and it, she's like I'm, she's like if... I'm trying not to give away that you're in this room and he's like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly you kind of need this to happen don't worry about it <laughs> and honestly the the chances of him being found you know, like I didn't even know that they didn't really have a track on him. Like, so like I got to get out of here. They're going to find me. And then the Senate by show up. They're like, who's Frank again? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that guy. So I think, yeah, the Good tension point. wouldn't have been that bad. I mean, I do like in the beginning when they go into the house and Larry just like picks up that doll statue mini thing of just two people having sex. And he's like, hmm. Frank was here. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I know this. I know this doll. If I know like, Frank. <laughs> loves fucking. Yeah. Sure. He loves a little doll. He, fucking know, Frank. He's fully into sadomasochism and and probably some deeper evil. And, yeah, he's murdered. But this people. little this little doll is the one thing he's carried since childhood. Yeah, um, that's what that's where it all started. Um, now, I, oh, I did want to point out that I I did make a note that there was. One very good and one bad jump scare. I liked the Jesus in the closet jump scare. It was yeah. one I was not expecting. Mm, yeah, got yeah, me yeah. good. Remind me of Jesus in the closet. Of, sounds uh, like a really interesting memoir. Yeah, <laughs> it reminded me of like Ben Gardner in the boat in Jaws. It was like one of those where I was like, I Definitely. know that there's something in the scene I don't remember, and then bam, and then right after that there's like the dead guy with the maggots, and I was like, that you didn't need that one. Get rid of that. One. <laughs> yeah, I think that one. Want, that they, one was their maggot good. budget. <laughs> was yeah, equal to was, their cricket yeah. budget and they're like we got to yeah. we got to use this somehow guys or we're going to lose Yeah, there was deposit. just there was just some PA on set covered in maggots like wait, we're going to cut that shit. <laughs> yeah, we're doing it now. <laughs> I mean, I think that really gets down to the uh putting all the hooks in on Hellraiser for us. That was a board fun, by board. Yeah, that was a fun revisit, a lot more to deal with than I'd remembered all the times I watched it. A lot of the characters that I thought were more important are not. So I don't know if this has been coined before, but I think we have decided it is now the Voorhees effect. And we're moving along 
tomorrow night into I think another movie where a house plays a big factor in it that people might not remember how much the house has an importance in this film. And another really sexy actor. Just laying it on thick, treading the boards <laughs> in this movie coming up tomorrow. Uh, another tall, creepy dude. <laughs> All right, listeners, we will see you again tomorrow. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Later. Peace. <laughs>